0: Here, and the most important thing is it's a question and answer period, not a personal statement period. So, even though you may have all the answers to life and the universe and everything, it's about questions and asking good questions. So, if you'd like to line up and ask your questions there to Erica, I'd like to invite Erica back up to entertain your brief questions. And uh, before we miss the apocalypse, let us continue.
1: Hello, thank you. My name is Terry Shellington and thank you for your uh, charming presentation. Yeah. The question was raised at our table mm-hmm. about um, uh, how the, the mood, you've probably talked to your colleagues in the industry, how other people in the downtown are feeling and how they're dealing with some of it. Uh, I observe that you've been able to um, take lemons and make lemonade out of it mm-hmm. and see opportunity where other people uh, see problem. Uh, I'm wondering how, what, and wha- how other, other, uh, others in the industry feel about a downtown and how, um, what the morale is like.
2: Yeah, sure, thanks. I'm a foodie, so if there's lemons, we're going to have lemon pie or lemonade. <laughs> That's uh, why I'm good at what I do. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I can't speak for everybody. I, I think that what I, what I get exposed to is a lot of people uh, not certain and that people are tired of feeling sad. They're tired of feeling scared, and so I get a lot of calls or a lot of contact to me of, I want to feel more like you do, and I want to, I want to, I want to find happiness within myself. <clears throat> I have seen, uh, I have seen some people use, use certain situations today as validation to maybe have a, a way to leave that it has been hard and i think again going back to the dialogue of downtown you know 6 years ago it was minimum wage and then it was parking and i will i long for those days that that's what we were focused on because that seems so easy now and i remember this the disrupt of parking meters and man that was a big one and i was like i wish that all we were talking about right now was parking for all the people that were coming because even then People had a reason that people weren't coming, and so I think as the dialogue is changing into um, more about humanity, that is a very controversial topic, and, and I think there's just a lot of fear all over the place. It's it's no different than you know, the university um, increasing the number of residences that they have on campus and taking away uh, rental properties on the west side, and then that creates a plethora of rental properties over there, and that generates low income, uh, you know, or lower or uh, whatever, the supply is too high. And so, you know, I think that people have unrest everywhere. It's not just downtown. And I think people are just sort of saying, I just want to feel good again. And how can I find a way to connect back into this? I don't know if that answers that or not, really, but that's my opinion. Yeah. Mike. (laughs) Yes, hello, Mike.
1: Okay, I'm going to violate Marty's instructions. Uh, It's a pleasure. I I work with Sage Clan, and Erica works with Sage Clan, and and I can say that it's a pleasure to have become a friend of Erica's, and I have personally gone and picked up very, very, very good meals for 85 people several times a week from Erica. And uh, So I, I really don't have a question there other than then you, you do have had help from other businesses as well. Uh, maybe you could uh, spread that goodwill a little bit, please.
2: Sure. <clears throat> yeah, it's a team of us downtown, I think, um, on my street. But it reaches uh, all the way, well, all over, to Two Guys and Corey over there, to Chef Stella, to Jeremy at Gentleman 3, to Big John's Books, to Drunken Sailor across the street, and The Owl, The Slice. The list goes on and on, and we're all in this together. We're friends. We spend our time together outside of work. Um, I, I was invited to participate with Sage Clan because I kind of, I was like, I, I want to know you. Like I, I want to know you, and they accepted me to come in, and there was, um, there was just some food that was being given to Sage Clan that that I just didn't think it was the standard it needed to be with the amount of money that they were, they were giving. And so I just saw a need, and I was like, I can do better than this, and I can get you receipts, and we can actually figure out the real cost of food. And a chef prepared balanced meal. And again, I'm a foodie. That's what I do. And so I saw an opportunity that this group, that Sage Clan was feeding 70 people three times a week, so over 200 people a week. And the food that was available that they were paying for wasn't good enough. It wasn't good enough. I wouldn't eat it. My kids wouldn't be eating it. And so I saw a need and I just, I just, I'm a foodie. I was like, no, 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 I can fix this. And that was um, a lot through Plum, but a lot through my house. You know, I've done a lot of this at home because the restaurant is so busy that I can't put that pressure on the team to do that all the time. But it's also with Chef Stella has stepped up and said, whatever you need, I got it. You know, two guys, uh, there's a plethora of people. So ordering things, labor people to make stuff it's there's a whole web downtown of people that are all just working together to again find that kind of light within themselves and say i can do this i got this no sweat you need hands i got them and that's been a lot of work because i'm a really good friend and so if a friend of mine needs something it has nothing to do with the drug crisis if they need something if they need a server if they need advice if they want to test out a system if they want me to visit their restaurant and and talk to their team, I've done that. So I think a lot of that is the work that I've put in through building credible and long-lasting relationships within and without, uh, or or inside or outside of a a drug crisis, for sure. But thanks, Uh, Mike, you're great too. I've personally seen this man pick up the food, drive the food, people, everything, three times a week, tirelessly dedicate his time to our community wherever he goes. It's not just with people downtown, it is everywhere. So I've seen the same from you, so thank you. Yeah. You're a a diamond, you're a diamond in our community. Um,
3: First of all, Erica, that was a fantastic presentation and I really appreciated the uh, perspective that you put on a problem that we have in the city. Um, I'm Maria Fitzpatrick and uh, one of the things that kind of stuck with me is when you talked about uh, you were distributing the drugs. Drug and, dealer. <laughs> uh, I have to say that I've had uh, a few encounters with uh, um, business owners who complained about the minimum wage uh, as they served alcohol and drank alcohol. And um, I, I think what... I'd like to know is how drinking is acceptable in this city. So <laughs> how do we uh, get people to understand that alcohol is a drug uh, and it's no different than the drugs that are, uh, we see going into the uh, supervised consumption site. So how do we get that message across to the rest of the city? You're complaining, but it's okay for you to go drink yeah.
2: alcohol. and that, that really, thank you, that's a good question. And alcohol, I think, is the worst. So in my experience in dealing with fentanyl, carfentanil, this new W18, in dealing with cocaine, LSD, mushrooms, uh, uh, I'm missing, meth, uh, cannabis, alcohol is, in my opinion, the worst and the easiest to get addicted to and the most socially accepted. And there are families that have been ripped apart by alcoholism forever. And um, I think that alcohol is also very, very expensive, and the price of alcohol continues to rise. And so it's a luxury drug, Um, same with cocaine, Uh, and those are luxury drugs. And so if there are people that have already not been set up in the same scenario that we have, you know, uh, whatever that looks like, born into poverty, born addicted, alcohol is often too expensive, the quality of alcohol we drink. And so what $10 of meth can buy you um, you couldn't buy one drink for that, and so it's also a matter of what is accessible to people um, within their means. I think a big thing is just talking about alcohol and just understanding our own relationship within it, and uh, or people we care about and their relationship with it, and almost the sensationalization of it that we've that we've really said that this is acceptable. Um, and and it is, it's, I mean, it is what it is, but I think that if we're gonna be in the middle of this light and dark thing and we're hating and pointing and blaming and all of those wedges that keep that there, and we aren't actually looking at what's rampant in our city, Um, You know, I think we just have to start talking about that and just saying, hey, I choose to see it all. I'm not going to, you know, this is not a a demographic of, you know, here's a table full of drugs and we're going to just decide what's healthy and what's not, so I'm going to put alcohol over here in a safety zone and I'm going to leave everything else in a bad zone. Um, It doesn't really work that way, it's people's relationship with that substance and the ruling that it has over their lives that's the most important thing, so I choose not to segment Uh, substances. Uh, I really instead focus on medicine. So my relationship with that was, whoa, there's poison and there's medicine. And I want to be a distributor of medicine. And that's food, and that's music, and that's love, and that's light. And that's what I choose to focus on is, um, especially with beer, you know, a big substitute for beer is food. And it's that yeast and that fullness that you feel in your belly. And a lot of people that suffer from uh, addiction to beer, they're hungry. And again, you can link that back to the womb. You can link that back to milk, and you can link that back to comfort. And a lot of the work that I do with people that do struggle with um, substance abuse or addiction to beer in particular, it's often cured with food, bread. Right? And then your celiac, well, geez, great. <laughs> Gluten-free, dairy-free. I'm like, no, 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 you're getting the gluten. But it's uh, understanding why somebody may be linked to something, and where did that come from, and what comfort do they find, and how can we substitute that with medicine and not prescription medicine. Instead, how can we um, find some sort of a, a solution? It's medicine on another form, so.
1: Hi, my name is uh, Knut Petersen. Thank you very, very much yeah. for coming on short notice. Okay. you welcome. Uh, when I sent out the SOS <laughs> to the SACPA board last Monday and uh, not having a speaker, Martin Heavyhead uh, suggested your name, and uh, thanks. you were right on the, I spoke to you, and you said, absolutely. So thanks very much for coming. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, my question relates to your, uh, kind of your Leth- Lethbridge. Yeah. Uh, I got your email wrong because uh, I thought it was Lethbridge. But anyway. That's a different story. Uh, What's your relationship with uh, BRZ, uh, Chamber of Commerce, and the City of Lethbridge, which are really important uh, partners to convince that we should be kind to each other?
2: Well, I guess my relationship starts with um, being a mom here for the last 21 years and being on all kinds of different boards throughout my career. I was on the board at the Chamber of Commerce. My son was six months old and I was nominated to be on the board and I was like, you guys' meetings are at 7 a.m. and I'm breastfeeding. So that was tough. I had to quit after six months because I didn't have childcare for meetings at 7 a.m. with the Chamber of Commerce and that set me up to fail. And ultimately I think um, probably set them up to fail because they it was a demographic that they were excluding from their meetings at that time and that was single parents and new moms and um you know that was that was tough but i uh i love the chamber i support them i recognize them i think they're doing a lot of great work um we don't always our opinions don't always match on certain things Um, but i really respect and uh, value them cindy actually the executive director there her son Dyson went to French immersion school with my daughter Gabrielle. So yeah, we're pretty tight, we're pretty good friends. Um, The BRZ, again, Ted and I have not always seen eye to eye, but we respect each other a lot. And he has no doubt in the passion that I have for what it is that I do. And I think that he, through seeing the work that I'm doing, regardless if it's with Lettsbridge or Plum, uh, he sees me and I see him. And we talk real every time that we're together. And I'm not angry and I'm not, I'm not, mad i really just say hey i have an idea or hey what do you think about this and ted and i have a very special relationship and keeping each other's cups full and working together to motivate each other and ourselves to keep doing the hard work because it is hard work um, andrew malcolm at the city but also a lot of the counselors i've had the luxury of getting to know them through plum whether it's catering events with them um, they're looking to discuss something private and they need a private space or a home to to talk about delicate things that that won't leave the room that's my room and so I've been able to navigate very um, diverse relationships within the room of Plum uh, to be able to build trust with people through my actions and how I run my business but also how I manage my team and so now that I'm creating something new I have a lot of friends that are really trusting of me and and that I'm able to deliver what I say that I will and that's been um, a lot of work in doing what I've done. So, so far, so good. That doesn't mean I agree with everything, trust me. <laughs> but I think they like that. They like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
4: thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad that somebody else couldn't come so you could. Yeah, thanks, uh, My name's Mary Shillington. I'm a retired clinical social worker, and you could be part of our clan uh, as a social worker. Uh, uh, a couple of things um, that was helpful for me to hear. Uh, the challenges of alcohol in the cooking in, in industry, because our son died of alcoholism, and he was a cook and uh and it, it was it was tough, and we're still it 's still tough after four years um, One of the things that I really respect is that you 're reaching out to other groups, but i don't I have heard about sage, but i don 't know anything about it, so can you tell me something about it, please?
2: Martin, have you had it? I'm very sorry, first of all, about your loss. I'm really sorry about that. Martin, do you want to come and say something about Sage quick? Thank you.
0: I actually knew your son. Uh, He was working at the university while I was there and he was always very kind to me. Uh, He and I would talk a lot about his uh, addiction and at times and the, I was able to overcome, my issues with alcohol about 10 years ago and previous to that uh, Mark Braverock was about 7 years ago he was able to overcome his problems and what mark did was he took a cue he went to Winnipeg to go see what they were doing with Bear Clan so Bear Clan started in 1992 and it kind of fizzled out but they were a homeless outreach group They would uh, patrol the streets of Winnipeg, mostly the indigenous areas. There's about 60,000 to 80,000 indigenous people in Winnipeg at any given time. And there's a large population of indigenous homelessness there. And they're from five or six different groups. So in 2013, James Favel, his response, Tina Fontaine was 14 years old and she was pulled out of the, uh, the river there. Um, and he thought, you know, if Bear Clan was in existence, then maybe this wouldn't have happened. So he reinvigorated Bear Clan after they had fizzled out and quickly built uh, to where they are today. They, ha- they do regular patrols. They have, I think, about 1,700 different volunteers who go patrol different parts of the city. But because there's no, there is no—there is some harm reduction going on there, but there's no, nothing like the SCS in Winnipeg. So last year— he cleared off uh, Bear Clan in their small area, cleared about a hundred and twenty thousand needles away. And uh, when people people w- speak with great hyperbole and exaggeration over the drug crisis here, whether there's needles, there's piles of needles, there's not. Uh, Sage Clan will often pick maybe no needles throughout the entire downtown core. Just up up. Sometimes eight, and. Uh, Eight, nine—you know—not very many at all. Uh, last night we found two crack pipes and I think three needles. And so, the the opioid crisis in Lethbridge, as it pertains to Lethbridge, I mean, this is a problem. We're having overdoses all over the place. We're having them uh, previous to the SCS. Now that we have the SCS, they're all localized in one area. So emergency services aren't going all over the city. Eh? So. People gotta think about how that saves money over time uh, in healthcare costs and emergency services cost, maintenance for vehicles and so on and so forth, but also for the general public too. eh? Like if you're having a heart attack or a stroke, you don't want to have the EMS crew out dealing with these overdoses over there. So there's a lot of um, stuff going on with the opioid crisis and Mark had seen it coming maybe about two years before Mark and I were involved in Where's Home? It's a documentary, you can find it on YouTube, talking about uh, indigenous homelessness in Lethbridge. And so using both of our experiences uh, in tandem, but also Mark's own struggles, he saw what they were doing and he realized he was already doing this in Lethbridge. When he sobered up, he just started. he just kept on the streets. He just stayed walking around downtown finding his friends, checking on them, bringing them food, bringing them to appointments if he could, now reminding them of things, and just seeing how they were. And then he got a bike and he was bombing around downtown, still checking on people. He would save people from being beaten up. Uh, the real dangers downtown are not the street people, the homeless people. They're not, they're barely ever dangerous at all. The real dangers are the drunk white boys who go to average Joes, who go to Studio 54, the ones who, um, are driving around beating up street people. That is a very common occurrence, and we find them um, sometimes. Most of the violence that happens to street people, the active violence, does come from being beaten up by roving gangs of uh, young men who are, you know, drunk and want to prove something, and women at times too, yeah. So Mark has been able to save people from being beaten, and once he... Was able to afford it, he got a van. And so then he started driving people around, started bringing them to their appointments, bringing them home, bringing them to the shelter. And uh, when he went to Winnipeg over a year ago, he saw what they were doing there and decided that this is what we need here, but in a different kind of context. Because there's about 10,000 Indigenous people in Lethbridge at any given time. Quite a few are from Blood Tribe, but um, of that 10,000 at any given time, There's about mm, 200 200 or so chronically homeless Indigenous people. Uh, There's about 400 or so chronically homeless people in general in Lethbridge. But we don't also see the people who are couch surfing. We don't see the people who are staying with their friends or with their grandmas or, you know, who don't have a place of their own. So that bumps the numbers up a little bit as per drug users. I think the SCS has notched it at about... 1685 or so from last time I checked the numbers of active drug users but of the people that go there every day uh, there's a lot of people who are homeless because it is the drug of of uh, ability you know like if a rock a little bit of meth costs five dollars the size of your fingernail so that's way cheaper to stay high for 13 hours than it is to use alcohol okay? so what Sage Clan has been doing is going on regular patrols three times a week, Wednesday, Thursday, 9 p.m., Sunday at 3. And last night we had a good patrol. We brought out socks, gloves, and uh, about 80 sandwich, 80 lunch bags, and hot chocolate because it was cold last night. So we've been doing these regular patrols, and so far we've been able to help 16 people get into treatment and house a family. All four of them were homeless together. So that doesn't seem, in the face of the drug crisis, it doesn't seem like a thing, but if you know the numbers, one person is a huge number, you know, like just to get one person into treatment is a huge, huge number. So Sage Clan is still working at it, and we go out regularly. Uh, the, the funny thing is that Mark knows pretty well all the older people out there, and so we're able to find somebody. We have trust in the community of homelessness that the police don't have, the watch will never have and that we're able to be there, speak with them, and understand people, where they're at, and hopefully help them get choice back into their lives. So we'll be going on patrol again tonight. We start at Chapters. If you're driving around town at nine, you may see us in our reflector vests, and uh, we feed at the SCS. We bring extra food to the shelter, and uh, we're actively trying to bring choice back to the people's lives because that's the main thing is that we talk about free will we talk about choice but when you're homeless um, your choices are incredibly limited and it's a big question if you even have choice anymore so that's I think what we got to say about Sage clan and you only have five minutes for the rest of the questions
4: my name is Laurie Schultz. Thank you so much yeah. for your presentation today. I'm so taken with um, all of the steps that you are doing and and the um, uh, you know other supports that are all together weaving <laughs> weaving a foundation um, and just that movement from anger to compassion is so refreshing. So my question is this um, on the macro level do you have any ideas or strategies on how to create that dialogue that you've referenced a number of times on a, a citywide basis and beyond, but do you have any strategies on how to unwedge that yin-yang wheel um, that I think is really poignant to the, the situation? So that's my one question. My second was just quickly, have you ever heard of a Citizens' Assembly? And I'll Hmm. leave it at that. Thank you. I have not heard of a Citizens' Assembly.
2: Hmm. But I like it. I like Citizens, I like assembling. I think it sounds nice. I think that from my personal experience, one of the things that has disserviced me, uh, I've had several instances just this last year, is the media. Is the media misconstruing information? and them being held accountable for that. And uh, I had an interview um, three months ago, and in that interview I talked about these, and it instead was edited and chopped and changed, and it looked instead like my business was suffering, which actually tried to disservice my sale. Um, And so what I'm looking to do is move away from traditional media and their involvement in what I'm doing until they can show credibility with me and they can earn the rights to my words. Um, And so doing podcasts, I think, are really important. Doing things like this, speaking to groups of people that hear your information as well. And then if you are manipulated, um, that that's held accountable. Working with independent radio, something like Jess FM, or this, uh, you know, I'm hearing about some of these different places that I'm going to look into. But being extremely careful to be in control of your own words and how they are perceived. And you are in control of that by who you speak to. And so that is what I've chosen, is to start realizing the value of my words and sharing them with people that would never turn them against me. And so the dialogue is one of the most important things. And um, pulling people together to do that, but then also controlling the distribution of that, I think, is vital. So yes. Last question. Hi, Erica. Hi. I'm Paulette Reed Hi. Our
3: office is on the corner of 10th Street and 3rd Avenue, yeah. so we are in the direct route of from point A to point B. Yeah, you're
2: right by two guys, though. You got to hang out and eat pizza. And tops. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. Yeah. And it's,
3: whenever they come by, and of course I always see them uh, yeah. coming by, and we've had really no issues. Maybe one or yeah. two, but Doc's always been there, and And the needles, they just phone arches. But every time they walk by, I always think, why couldn't we set up a sandwich stand outside so that as they're walking by, they could grab a sandwich and something to eat, drink? But how can we as a business support you or (laughs) like,
2: how do we do that? That's a great question. Because no one asks. Yeah, and I think the first thing that I did was I stopped using the word they. And I'd said, swapped in we and me. And we want to say, they walk by, I see them. And instead, I was like, I see. I see, I feel, I desire, I long. We want to do something. We are a part of our community. And so I think that that's huge to change the dialogue. And then it starts with norms within your team. So it starts within a team meeting. And you say, look, we're in the middle of a drug crisis. There are reasonable people, reasonable people, and there are unreasonable people. And a project I'm working on with Let's Bridge is actually a training system that teams can access so that I could help facilitate a team meeting with you to help create norms and standards within your organization that could help you create a philosophy around how you help reasonable people, and how do you stay safe and help unreasonable people not um, hurt themselves or hurt the community. And so that's a project under Let's Bridge that I hope to have available very soon. I think in the interim, it's pulling your organization together and saying, who are we? Who are we as an organization? What do we have and what do we want to give? And understanding that there might be people on your team that don't want to participate and they don't have to. And giving the grace and the allowance to say, it's okay. How can we help support you to feel safe so you can come out of an emotional lockdown, but that doesn't mean you have to feed somebody that you don't agree with what they're doing. But how can we then segment our team to be able to provide the grace that we want to to people that want to participate, don't want to participate, and to people that need us? And so I think, again, it's those real conversations within your team. And uh, again, through Let's Bridge, that's something that I hope to provide soon is that I could come in and help you do that if you wanted to. So, yeah, thank you. And on one more note um, with your son, the chef, something that also Let's Bridge is, is going to be doing is a A chef and bartender association that encourages sobriety in the industry and then there's an actual uh, outreach and network for people that are struggling with addictions in the specific industry of the restaurant world so I've got some good friends all around Canada that were coming together uh, to really focus on that because it's something very important and there has been too much loss Um, so I hope that maybe we could collaborate on that in your son's honor so thank you